Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we're here this time to take on The Last Stand. Well, not really The Last Stand. The Last Stand. The penultimate stand. (laughs) One of many stands Arnold took in the movies over the years. Yeah, this one's probably closer to the end than the beginning, but I wouldn't say it's the last. It's the spiritual last stand. Uh, very good. The spiritual successor to the middle stand. <laughs> That's right. What was the middle stand? Uh, that was right after the first stand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another strong opening for us here on Arnie Geddon. That's right. So let's get into this movie. Tony, this one was released in 2013. Arnold had just come back from politics. His sort of comeback was the Expendables movies. He had in 2010, he had the cameo in the first one. He uh, showed up in a much bigger role in the second one in 2012. This was his first, you know, leading man vehicle after his return from being the governor. That's right. And I'm just curious, at that point in time, like, were you amped? Were you excited for Arnold's return as a leading man to the theater? Oh, absolutely I was. Uh, In fact, I think, I don't think I saw this one opening night, but I definitely saw it in the theaters and I was stoked to go see it how about you yeah uh i i well actually was i stoked okay like i know i was definitely excited to see arnold in the expendables movies and like i didn't think either of them were like you know like all-time classics if you will you know on par with your like t2s or whatever true lies and so i was a little bit like cautious but i do remember i i too went out to see this one opening weekend so obviously there was some excitement there and I think the director choice interested me, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But um, it was definitely, you know, a movie that I approached with the hope that I was about to see Arnold coming back. You know, once again, regaining the title as a box office champion. I know that Terminator 3 was kind of the the last movie that he did, or it was the last movie that he did before going into office. But I kind of see more collateral damage as being the appropriate bookend to... The Last Stand, where you have Arnold's career progression, and then you take a big franchise film, throw a bunch of money at him, and then we kind of pick up where we left off. It's not a Terminator flick, uh, but it's more in the line of standalone Schwarzenegger starring vehicles. Sure, and I mean, both those movies, Collateral Damage and this one, they are sold on Schwarzenegger. That's right. There's no, like, if you love the Terminators, you're going to love this movie. It's like, these movies, if you don't like Arnold... You're probably not going to like it that much. Unless you're a big Johnny Knoxville fan. Sure, sure. Or John Leguizamo in the case of Collateral Damage. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I am curious. You went out to see this movie. What were your thoughts at the time? At the time, I remember being kind of disappointed. I thought that the movie was a bit of a miss and that it was more in line with some of the trajectory that we'd seen Arnold's career going in before Terminator 3, where... You had him in the mid-90s, still cranking out some pretty good action flicks, and we've talked about this before. We kind of saw a decline in the caliber of directors that he was working with. But not in the caliber of guns. 
<laughs> no, not in the caliber of guns. Uh, but we saw a decline in the uh, amount of budget that he was able to work with. And this struck me as being a little bit more in that vein, uh, more more of a six-day, end-of-days collateral damage era Arnold than a Terminator 2 Total Recall, or even Eraser era Arnold. Sure, when they were really like the blockbusters, like summer blockbuster type movies. That's right. And I mean, this movie was released January 18th, 2013. They released this right in the new year, which is the box office death slot. That's the classic spot where you're trying to really, you've spent so much money you have to release it, but, you know, grab a shovel. Usually nowadays they just release really, really crappy found footage horror movies. You know, it's like, I think there was one called, like, The Devil Inside or something they released around this time of year. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh, I wish. No, that was, you're thinking, you're thinking of End of Days. Very good. <laughs> the other devil movie. But, yeah, like, usually they'll just put out cheapo horror movies because that first couple weeks, you know, the first, really, the month of January, people aren't going out to the theater much. They're broke from Christmas. All the big holiday movies are still playing. In the case of just recently, you know, stuff like Aquaman is playing, or Mary Poppins, Star Wars movies are playing right through January. So it's kind of a weird time to open a movie like this. Yeah, treadmill season. Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, this movie opens, as I said, January 18th. It has a budget of $45 million, which. Oddly enough, kind of feels like more expensive than it should have been. What do you mean by that? Do you mean that the movie looks more expensive than that or looks cheaper than that? Well, when you look at what this movie is, this should not be an expensive movie. Well, I don't think it is an expensive movie. $45 million isn't a lot of money to throw at a movie these days. It's not a lot, but I feel like you could have cut a few million out of that budget. I wonder how how much of that was Arnold Schwarzenegger's salary. I think more than you want to know. (laughs) But yeah, $45 million cost. Domestically, it grossed $12 million. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> Foreign, it did 36 for a worldwide total of 48. Now, when one removes the costs of prints and advertising and all that sort of thing, The Last Stand didn't make any money in theaters. No, which is kind of too bad. I, I, I gotta wonder how Arnold felt about that. Especially when it's your first movie coming back as a leading man. Yeah. It's gotta be a little depressing. This movie landed at number 128 for the year. Between the Coen Brothers movie, Inside Lewin Davis, which is fantastic, and uh, the, the Christian Bale film, Out of the Furnace. I think Scott Cooper directed it. I never saw it. It wasn't supposed to be very good. I unfortunately haven't seen either of those movies. Yeah. Uh, some other notables, and we talked already about this year when we did Escape Plan recently. But um, some other notables. Uh, at number 101, you had Escape Plan. Um, so it did beat The Last Stand. You also had at number 132, Bullet to the Head. At number 140, Machete Kills. And uh, at number 159, Metallica Through the Never, which I only mentioned because it was directed by Nimrod Antel, who did Predators, which we covered on the podcast. Right. Um, and then just, we already talked about the top 10 with the escape plan, but I'll run through it really quickly. At number one, you had Hunger Games Catching Fire. Number two, Iron Man 3. Number three, Frozen. Number four, Despicable Me 2. Number five, Man of Steel. Number six, Gravity. Number seven, Monsters University. Number eight, The Hobbit, Desolation of Smaug. Number nine, Fast and Furious 6. And number 10, Oz the Great and Powerful. So kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, we see Arnold come back in a year where not just Arnold, who's got two movies that are below the top 100, but a few action stars are kind of in the same vein, not really 
making the kind of money that they used to. And the movies that are making money are generally family-friendly franchise films. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't think there's a single R-rated movie on that top ten list. No. No, there's not. And, uh, you know, this movie is hard R. Um, I believe, I think Escape Plan might be rated R as well, even though it's a pretty mild R. We'd have to go I, back and check. Yeah, well, we, we talked about it recently, so we shouldn't have forgotten this quickly, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, that's the breaks, folks. And, uh, you know, you see Stallone this year is also struggling because, you know, he works with Schwarzenegger in Escape Plan. That's 101. Yeah, but, but he's with, also in Bullet to the Head at number 132. Yeah, Bullet to the Career. Yeah, that movie sucks. Like, I really <laughs> didn't enjoy it. And we're not recovering that one for uh, Arnie Gedd. <laughs> but who knows what the future may hold. <laughs> that's... A- <laughs> yeah, eventually we're going to be in the bottom 100 podcasts here too, Cam, at this rate. Wait, we aren't already? <laughs> now, what's a little bit interesting about this movie is that originally it was uh, pitched to Liam Neeson to star in it. and uh, as, ta- this, as Taken 7? <laughs> this feels right in line with the type of movie they would have offered him at this point in time. Yeah, it absolutely does. This feels like kind of a Liam Neeson uh, type movie, really. Yeah, more, I think, an every, comedic, though. Yeah, more of a, an everyman, uh, small-town cop type thing that he's want to do these days. His movies tend to be a little more serious, though. Like They tend to have definitely a gruffer side to them. Like They don't have the, the kind of the campy humor that you would see in a Schwarzenegger movie. Not a lot of the time, no. And you would never see, uh, although I would like to see a remake of Junior starring Liam Neeson. Oh my god, I never knew I wanted that, but now I really do. <laughs> Out of curiosity, what is your favorite of the Liam Neeson action movies? Do you have one? Uh, it's hard to beat Taken. Uh, You're Taken, a Taken fan? Taken's a pretty good movie. I also like The Grey and some of his darker, drearier stuff. <laughs> I love The Grey. And I'm a fan of The A-Team. I thought The A-Team was really fun. Yeah, I thought it was underrated. Yeah, it was a weird homage to often uh, uh, Roger Moore, James Bond movies in a lot of spots. and It's a really fun movie. Yeah, unfortunately a total box office bomb. I know, I would have loved a sequel to it. but uh, You know they wanted one. I know, I know. You don't assemble that cast without the intention of running a sequel. Especially, you think about it, they had Bradley Cooper on board really before he exploded. Mm-hmm. If they'd had him under contract, imagine how those sequels would do now that Bradley Cooper is like an Oscar-nominated, you know, actor, director of A Star is Born. If you still have him tied to the A-Team franchise, my God. You know, someone out there is uh, going over the small print on his contract with a magnifying <laughs> glass. <laughs> how long is this thing good for? <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. I think Charlto Copley still is available, but Bradley, we got to rope him in. <laughs> so let's get to The Last Stand. We just watched it. Tony, what is this movie about? Well, Cam, The Last Stand is about a former big city narcotics cop played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's now a small town sheriff in a sleepy town, along with a colorful collection of deputies. And together, they've got to try and stop an escaped drug pin who's coming through the town in a souped-up, modified, high-power sports car. (laughs) Sounds like a recipe for success, doesn't it? Sure. (laughs) It wasn't at the box office, though. (laughs) No, but it sounds like it. It definitely sounds like it. And we just finished watching it, Tony. What were your thoughts this time? I gotta say, I liked it a lot more than I remembered liking it in the theater. Uh, I... I really enjoyed it. The action was pretty hard-hitting. Uh, the 
acting was serviceable the plot was intelligible which is more than we can say for a lot of the yeah. movies we've reviewed on yeah here. when we did our episode on raw deal and we tried to piece that one together <laughs> yeah exactly it's just like <laughs> it's like a mad lib script writer <laughs> but uh i'm not going to say that it uh deserved any academy award wins or anything like that it wasn't sure. breaking any new ground in fact the number of tropes that they were relying on and cliches that we were relying on were quite humorous throughout the entire film. Yeah. But it uh, it did the job for me today. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Like, I would say this movie is a mixed bag. And I lean on the positive when I say that. Like, I enjoyed a lot of this movie. The stuff that I don't really dig, though, is like, it definitely hits those cliches a lot. Like, a lot. Like, I get it. It is a Western, so it's trying to touch on Western tropes. But, like, there's a difference between good and bad Westerns. And this one is often feels like it's homaging the bad Westerns as much as the good ones. And, you know, that's, you know, whatever. Like, a lot of the middle of the movie gets a little saggy with just, like, really generic characters saying generic things. But, ultimately, it's a really fun, goofy movie. Like, the idea of this drug lord in a sports car that no one can stop is insane and i like it for that i love that you have forrest whitaker as an fbi agent who's like in a whole other movie yeah, a movie a... dripping with gravitas and pathos yeah monologues by the score staring off into the horizon yeah, as only forrest can do yeah, like just a perpetual like unshaven kind of mess who's just like sweating yeah. looking tormented yeah. i know we're gonna get into it uh later and, and i might be jumping ahead here but isn't forrest whitaker's character like the worst law enforcement agent <laughs> of all time like he has about five separate operations to catch this guy yeah. who's already in captivity when they at the start of the movie and he just bungles every single operation at the cost of millions of dollars and countless fbi and law enforcement lives i mean the guy's in a camaro there's nothing you can do <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. an unstoppable situation yeah it's a thousand horsepower you can't stop a thousand horsepower <laughs> do they think about putting out spikes in the road tony uh i'm sure they thought about it but the thing is is by the time they get the spikes down he's, he's already long gone <laughs> the car is that fast it's so fast it melts the spikes <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> anyways i'm sure we'll get into more of what force Forrest, I almost said Forrest Gump, but what Forrest Whitaker's <laughs> character is like. Right. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, so, like, I think this is a fun movie. Uh, you know, the action is surprisingly well shot. Like, maybe I shouldn't say surprisingly, because this movie was directed by Kim Ji-woon, who has directed some, like, masterpieces of South Korean cinema. He did I Saw the Devil. He uh, directed Tale of Two Sisters, as well as The Good, the Bad, and the Weird, which... It seems from all the making of stuff on this movie, that's the movie that got him this job because that's a that movie is a sort of a spoof on you know westerns. I'm not that familiar with Ji Woon Kim's filmography. In fact, I don't think I've seen anything that he's made, unfortunately. But everything I hear is that uh, they're pretty spectacular films, and he's a real visionary filmmaker, which is such an interesting uh, director choice to to work on this film. Like we watched. Uh, after this movie, we watched one of those featurettes on the DVD, the making of kind of thing. Yeah. And a half hour making of. <laughs> yeah, it was a little long. 
we just couldn't get enough of The Last Stand. There is no one in the universe that wants a half-hour documentary on the making of The Last Stand. But Ji-Woon Kim, I, I mean, he doesn't speak a word of English. Right. Which I got to imagine is pretty challenging. So, but you take that uh, and you see what he does with this film, and it's actually kind of interesting, isn't it? It is. Like, I, there's a lot of interesting camera angles in this movie. There's a lot of energy to his action, and a lot of just weird ideas. There's a deleted scene where a car does like a skateboard routine on a ramp, and I'm like, that feels like the sort of thing you might have seen in like one of the more crazy South Korean films. Like it, it definitely feels influenced. And he even says that as much on the documentary. He says it really is a mashup of Eastern and Western styles just set in the West of the US, which I think is an interesting idea. You know, you say he's an interesting choice. This feels in some ways to me like the days of I guess mostly the Van Damme movies where you had directors like Ringo Lam or Tsui Hark mm-hmm. who came over and... Or even John Woo for that matter. John Woo as well. Although, like, John Woo really excelled. Like, yes, he did Hard Target, which was sort of a B-grade movie that was great. Like, it's a total awesome movie. He didn't have a ton of control over that one. No, he definitely didn't. But he got his own, you know, blank check later on to do things like Face Off. Whereas, like, Tui Hark and Ringo Lamb never really did. They just wound up in kind of crappy action movies and then went back home and made awesome stuff like just like they were before it's like they never really found their footing in north america and it seems to be the same case with jiwoon kim who's gone back home and cranked out movies that if you look at their metascore ratings are you know significantly higher than the last stands yeah it's interesting too though it's going back to what we were talking about before about how collateral damage uh, was a little bit of a bookend to this not counting terminator 3 which is uh, in the middle there that's the cheese and the grilled cheese what we've talked about a little bit before with some of Schwarzenegger's late 1990s, early 2000s work is he was working with directors who are capable and who are good, but a lot of time are journeyman directors. You know, they're working with your Jonathan Mostows and that kind of ilk. Andrew who, Davis, Peter Hyams. Yeah, guys who they don't have bad reputations by any means, but they're known, I think, as working directors, as guys that you can throw... Uh, several million dollars at and they're not going to waste it but they're also not going to deliver something great if the if the script isn't there like they're pretty much at the mercy of the material whereas like a great director like a verhoven or a james cameron can take a maybe a script that's not working and really like bring it up another level or two yeah and so you have someone like jiwoon kim who seems like more of a step in the uh young director with a lot of potential or at least a new new director or new to this market with a tons of potential who has a lot of great work under his belt and it seems like a step in the right direction for Schwarzenegger yeah although I just wonder you know the, the screenplay for this by Andrew Nauer who's not really done anything he wrote this movie in you know this was made in 2013 the same year he had an indie film come out called Ghost Team One and that's about it he had a short come out like a year or two later but that's it. Like, this guy was really... This was his only major project. And I, I just question whether a director coming in who doesn't have a very good grasp on the language looks at this script and really understands what works and what doesn't versus when he's looking at the scripts for his own films back in uh, South Korean cinema, being able to look at the nuances of the screenplay more. Because I feel like this is a below the material he's used to. That might be true. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that, but that's a good point, Cam. Yeah, and I know there was rewrites on this movie, but none of them are credited on the final film, so who knows. But 
When I say it was rewritten, I don't feel, though, like it's a patchwork. Like, I think the movie actually is pretty consistent. It doesn't feel like a really confused mess or anything. I think it is a pretty straightforward film. So, you know, I feel like if there was rewrites, it was probably punching up dialogue and things like that. Character beats. Yeah, probably cutting a few things as well. Probably. There's probably some other things they could have cut too. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, so, like, let's talk about the movie. Because, again, this is Arnold's return was this the right movie, do you think, for him to return to as a leading man? Or does it feel a little too small? I mean, it would have been nice to see either a movie with a little bit of a bigger budget, or if he's going to come back, some of the things that we've seen him do since then are maybe more in the vein of art house or dramatic roles. Yeah. You know, Maggie or Aftermath, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, where whether they work or not, you can see why he would be doing it. And you are wearing an Aftermath t-shirt right now, so... Along with my matching Aftermath hat and, right. and my Maggie socks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll put a picture up in the show notes. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But if Arnold's going to come back, he's got to know he doesn't have the same box office clout that he did in the 80s and the 90s. Right. You know, if you put it in resume format, he's a guy who whose career was on more of a decline than an incline when, yeah. he, when he went out, and then he's been away for 10 years. So you're not going to get a producer or a studio to throw hundreds of millions of dollars at a project like, like maybe he could in the old days. But as far as movies to do, it doesn't seem like a bad idea. you got a, a director who's got a lot of pedigree in his home country and who has the potential to do a really great film yeah you got a script that if isn't great is pretty interesting at least in terms of a modern western with a supercar you've also got a character that's commenting on his age a lot and i feel like that's something schwarzenegger probably wanted to do because you have the character ray owens you know when he's uh, like falling down or whatever he talks about how he's old he's someone who feels like he is an older guy whereas I think a part of the problem was like maybe with Arnold's movies before he went into office when he was doing stuff like collateral damage and that it, like the kind of the problem was it felt like Arnold was kind of losing a step but these movies were also not up to snuff either like at the time when this movie was released I remember being a little bit disappointed that Arnold was coming back with such a small B movie but when I really think about it now it's like when you're wrapping up his sort of career before going to politics He's doing Collateral Damage, Six Day. These are not great movies, and they are not box office hits. So it makes sense, I suppose, that he is coming back with a more modest project. And I think it's fun to see him doing a project that comments on his age and acknowledges a little bit of a meta-narrative of where he is as an action hero. Yeah, although I will say, having Arnold Schwarzenegger play an everyman is definitely an everyman asterisk. Oh, yeah. This is not Liam Neeson as a believable... Oh, shucks, dad, who's just pulled into uh, an adventure that he he doesn't know how to handle. Right. This is Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is still, in this film, in incredible shape. Yeah, although you don't get it shown off as much as you used to. Although there was a deleted scene where he peeled off his uh, sheriff's outfit and, man, for like a 60-year-old guy or 65-year-old guy... Yeah. uh, (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't want to fight him on a bridge, put it that way. And that scene, I believe, that deleted scene, which you can find on the DVD and Blu-ray, opens with him putting <laughs> lotion on his feet. So I could, It's enough to destroy Tarantino's appetite for feet in his movies. I could do, I could do without the toe cracking and feet lotion, yeah. but 
it's always good to see Schwarzenegger flex the biceps in a film. But not but, the feet. <laughs> but in addition as to why this movie might be a good film for Schwarzenegger to come back to, there's also a pretty, uh, if not all-star, a pretty serviceable, experienced cast yeah. of character actors uh, who aren't going to let him down in terms of stealing scenes away from him or uh, killing scenes for him. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you've got... Arnold is the sheriff, and his deputies, you've got Jamie Alexander, who is in the first two Thor movies, as the Lady Sif. So you know she can do action. She's really strong here, I think. Like, definitely a good, grounded performance. Um, you have Rodrigo Santoro as her ex, who's, you know, sort of has a alcoholism problem, but, you know, he needs to be redeemed. If this movie is like Arnold Schwarzenegger's Rio Bravo... He is the Dean Martin character. But anytime I see Rodrigo Santoro in a film, he's done tons of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, all I can think of, though, is Xerxes from the 300. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Paulo, one of like the, the most hated characters in the show Lost. Like, <laughs> like one of the most hated TV characters of all time. Yeah, I wish he'd had the piercings, though, of 300 in this movie. <laughs> that would have been that would have made him more interesting. <laughs> Although, being around all those big magnets on the set, that could have sure. been a problem. <laughs> you also have Luis Guzman, the you know character actor who's in like all the Paul Thomas Anderson movies. This guy's worked forever. He's iconic. Look up a photo, you'll be like, oh yeah, I've seen him in about 300 things. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he's kind of the comic relief here. Uh, you know, he wields a Conan sword at one point. Well, yeah, comic relief along with Johnny Knoxville, who's here, who had a little bit of a career as an actor. I don't know if that's still going on. Is, he, is Johnny Knoxville still acting in things, or has he kind of hung it up? Well, okay, so he what, he did, like, the recent Jackass movie. He did um, Bad Grandpa, and he had a recent one where it was kind of a stunt-slash-fiction movie called Action Point, I think it was called, where it was, like, mm -hmm. a theme park that was, like, broken down. That movie was like a colossal disaster, box office-wise, so I think that may have been the end of the road. But he was showing up in like movies released internationally, like the Jackie Chan movie Skip Trace, I think it's called. Yeah. So he does work. So around this time, I mean, he was doing things like The Dukes of Hazard, Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of thing. So yeah. he was, uh, he, he's what I think we would call a, you know, a five million dollar actor. Sure. Five million? <laughs> Well, a few million, anyways. <laughs> yeah, you know he's there. Uh, he he's not a he's not a bad actor by any means, but he, he's uh, you know a part of the comic relief along with Louis Guzman. And then as he, Johnny Knoxville in this feels similar to the performance he gave in that remake of Walking Tall with The Rock. Right. It feels like the same kind of thing, pairing him off with a action icon. And he's there to kind of have quips and be a little bit wacky. And then in the bad guy category, I can't remember. Did you already mention uh, Eduardo Noriega? No, I haven't yet. No. As the as a drug kingpin, uh, Gabriel Cortez described as the worst kingpin since Pablo Escobar. <laughs> Just to make it clear, he's a really bad guy. And also his second in command, uh, Peter Starmer, who's <laughs> I really like Peter Stormare. He's always so weird. He's amazing in this movie because he's a Swedish actor and he's doing a like southern accent. It's bizarre. I I really liked his accent in this or is movie. Or a Midwest accent? I don't know. Yeah. It's is. a mix of all accents. <laughs> but he's great. He always just chews scenery. Yeah. Uh, and he does it here to great effect. Yes, he's a ton of fun. And you also have Genesis Rodriguez 
And uh, spoilers, everyone who hasn't seen the movie, please, you know, go out and watch The Last Stand. Because we are going to spoil it from now on. Hey, that's my job. I know, but I'm taking it over. But, uh, yeah, uh, Genesis Rodriguez plays um, an agent working under Forrest Whitaker's character who ends up switching to Gabriel Cortez's side. And so she's riding along with him for most of the movie. Yeah, sure didn't see that coming. (laughs) No, not at all predictable. Uh, And so, yeah, you have, like, a really capable supporting cast. Like, there's not really... In terms of ability, there's not a weak link in the cast. But, Tony, was there a character or two that didn't really work for you? Yeah, it's one of the things that I kind of noted. There's almost character excess in here. You could have sliced a couple of these characters out of this film without really losing too much. In particular, I look at, say, Louise Guzman and Johnny Knoxville, both of whom are playing uh, supporting sidekick comic relief type characters, different types of characters. But I think, you know, did we really need two of these types of characters? Three, if you count the ill-fated Jerry Bailey, played by Zach Guilford. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy who's so forgettable, by the time the movie's over, you've forgotten like that a uh, deputy has been killed. The only thing that happened to him, really, in the whole movie of consequence was he got his nose smashed in by the kickback on a Smith & Wesson 500 yeah. to demonstrate just how powerful that, that gun is. yeah. Like, I feel like cut that character, have Louise Guzman be the one, or or Knoxville, I don't care, uh, killed early on. Because then the character who dies actually pops on screen where it's someone where you go, oh, like they were really memorable. But I mean, I guess, you know, I'm sure the actors who played, you know, like Louise Guzman or Johnny Knoxville are like, no, please don't kill me that early. I would like the paycheck. But nonetheless, they would have had more of an impact than the Jerry Bailey character who's a nothing um, but no, like, to me, the the Knoxville stuff is, oh, does it border on obnoxious sometimes? Like, I've liked him in some movies. He's not someone who I act, have any sort of active dislike of. But I feel like in this movie, he didn't really have anything to do. And they were just like, just do your thing, Johnny Knoxville. Just do your thing. And it involves wacky hats, pajama pants, um, just acting really stupid. Yeah, I hear you. I had the same issue, too. And I actually had more of an issue with it the first time I saw the movie, and I left the movie being like, man, like that Johnny Knoxville character was really irritating in this movie. I didn't feel that way this time, but maybe if I watch it a a third time, I'll go back to, yeah, they should have cut Johnny Knoxville, at least toned him down. I would have rather they played up the Louis Guzman character, because I think he gets a little bit sidelined in the big shootout at the end. I would have liked to have seen more of him, because I think he's a lot of fun. Yeah, totally. I agree. And uh, what did you think of, like, Jamie Alexander and Rodrigo Santoro as sort of the couple who, you know, their love will be renewed by a hail of bullets? I mean, you saw it coming. This this movie had to have a love interest, and for whatever reason, they didn't want to give a love interest to Schwarzenegger's character, which I think was actually kind of a good call. Right. As soon as Rodrigo Santoro is on screen as a uh, in the basically in the drunk tank, yeah, in the police station, and Jamie Alexander's on screen as the fresh faced twenty something year old deputy, yeah, and they talk about how they used to date. Uh, you, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. We all knew where it was going. Yeah, I would have liked a little more to her character. Because I feel like she doesn't have a much, really. Like, what can you really say about her character? She drove out to... You know, and that's maybe this... <laughs> I don't really want to get into it with you. Because uh, <laughs> I don't care about... Uh, don't you? I don't care about her character. I don't care about most of these characters. But, like, I would have liked if she had some sort of little bit of a dramatic 
arc to her character, like a mini arc, because like well, she did. She but it's all about her getting back together with Rodrigo Santoro, who also has his own other arc where he's overcoming his addictions. Like he gets more to do than she does. I would have liked to have seen you, more from her. What are you talking about? She has to witness her friend, her childhood friend Jerry Bailey. Oh yeah, uh, being she's, killed. She's really weeping over that one. By the she end. has to get up on a roof with a bolt action sniper rifle and blast sure. some bad guys. Oh, she's she, very good in the action. She's pretty badass. She is a badass. I would have liked to have seen more of her. Like, I think you could have done more. That's why I'm just, like, what I get is awesome, but I would have liked a little more because I've seen, she's, like, really charismatic in the Thor movies. So I think any chance you can use that as a resource in your movie, it's a good thing. I don't know. I think I think I had enough of Jamie Alexander's character. I didn't feel like she was sidelined, but I didn't feel like she was overused. I'm gl- actually really glad that the movie didn't stray into giving too much of a backstory on all these characters. Like, I really didn't need to meet Louise Guzman's family. I did. Uh, we, we, <laughs> I mean, Johnny Knoxville, he didn't really have an arc. He worked in a weapons museum and then became a deputy and hijinks ensued. Well, he was a guy who wanted respect and he finally got it. Maybe. Uh, but with this many characters, something's got to go. That's true. And I mean, Arnold should always be at the center of it all. Did you ever feel like, and this is an issue I have with some of the latter Die Hard movies, where they just started bringing in this supporting cast to take the attention away from John McClane? Did you ever feel like that was happening here with Schwarzenegger? Not really. Uh, I, I know exactly what you're saying, but I didn't really feel that. You felt like it was a team movie mm-hmm. of small town cops with ancient antiquated weapon museum weapons going up against a cartel of drug dealers armed with rocket launchers and modern machine guns and everything else. But Arnold Schwarzenegger was always in charge of the show. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, he is the John Wayne character in this. This is so like Rio Bravo, which have you seen Rio Bravo? Yeah, I have. Yeah, where it's John Wayne... He's got a prisoner in his jail cell that all this guy's bad friends are going to come to try to break him out. And so it's John Wayne, you know, his alcoholic deputy, Dean Martin, and uh, there's a couple others. Walter Brennan, I believe, is there as well as the jailer. And they're all waiting for these bad guys to ride into town. And that's very much what this movie is. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger with his team of deputies, one of whom turns out to have alcoholism issues. You know, waiting for this bad guy to roll into town, or in this case, blow through it very quickly in what is referred to at one point as the Batmobile. That's right. And along the way, you also have, uh, and you mentioned it earlier, Forrest Whitaker in a totally separate movie. Yes. Which, uh, if there is an issue that I have with this movie, it's probably that. It's that I didn't really care about what uh, Forrest Whitaker's character was doing yeah. uh, he, his role was pretty much looking for the bad guy unsuccessfully trying to keep the bad guy in jail unsuccessfully and just being generally unsuccessful well when, when we all knew what was going to go down which was this bad guy was going to be taken down by Schwarzenegger and his crew yeah and Forrest Whitaker you know right from the beginning as soon as the as soon as Gabriel Cortez escapes from the van in a pretty good escape scene by the way yeah pretty good yeah you knew that he was going to show up at the end and do mop-up duty. Yeah. No, I mean, it's true. I mean, the issue with a character like this is that, I mean, the this Forrest Whitaker character is on screen entirely to give you exposition. He is there to explain where the bad guy is, where he's going to be next, to make calls to Schwarzenegger, 
urging him to, you know, that this is a very deadly situation you're working with. He's all there to basically be the hype man for the bad guy, just, like, reiterating over and over about how bad this guy is. <laughs> yeah, we, and like, then, we get it. Yeah, and then also setting up really stupid attempts to stop the guy, like, hey, let's set up, like, a three-car barricade, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's set out a helicopter that can't... <laughs> Like, yeah. one helicopter to chase this guy down. Let's just put two SWAT trucks on the road. You, you gotta figure at some point this guy's gonna be like, uh, well, wait a sec, we got like a dozen dead police officers here, or two <laughs> dozen dead cops. Uh, maybe we should call in the National Guard or something like that. I mean, we are told this is a third-generation cartel boss. Slash race car driver. <laughs> yes, that's very true. Pro race car driver. Pro though. race car, yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know where he finds the time. <laughs> I know, those cartels must not be that much work to to run, I guess. But, I mean, he's on, on death row and escapes. And it's like, this is a guy who I would have to believe, if this guy gets loose and is on the run to Mexico, they are going to spare no expense to stop this guy. You know, we had a manhunt in, in up here in uh, Canada recently for two kids who were like 18 and 19. And, I mean, they really expended a lot of resources. Yeah. And they were nothing compared to what this guy is. Yeah, no, these these were like some kids who were suspected of murder. Yeah. Uh, this guy's the worst drug kingpin since Pablo Escobar. Yeah, like this guy is the worst of the worst on death row breaking out of a U.S. prison. I think he was probably just set up by, sure. <laughs> by his uh, race car competitors. <laughs> that's, that's a deleted scene, probably. <laughs> but I mean, the thing about this villain is... He's totally hyped up by Force Whitaker's character, and just with the in regards to the Force Whitaker character, just to kind of finish him off, the thing with this character is, normally in a movie he would be very generic and have a few lines of exposition, but because it's played by Force Whitaker, an Academy Award-winning actor, we get a lot of him, a lot. Yeah, and he's at his Force Whitakeriest. Yes, and so like, I don't know that we needed as much of him as we got, but you know. It's a lot, and it's intense, and Forrest Whitaker, I'm not really sure what he saw that was appealing on the page, but he's giving it his all. He always does. I love Forrest Whitaker. Yes, but yeah, getting to that villain that he builds up so much, when you actually see the performance of Eduardo Noriega, did he sell it? Like, did you actually buy this as a villain who's in league with some of the other great Schwarzenegger adversaries? I don't know if I'd put him in the same league as the other Schwarzenegger adversaries are the great adversaries anyways like he's no predator sure is he as good as jim caviezel from escape plan or tony goldwyn in the sixth day i'd put him more in the category of tony goldwyn or for that matter the uh the bad guy in collateral oh, or, sorry collateral damage like uh was it cliff curtis i think you're right yeah yeah cliff curtis i i agree like he's definitely mid-tier but i do think the actor like his dialogue is not that interesting <laughs> But he definitely has the kind of the flash and sort of the slickness that one would hope for in the role of the <laughs> pro-circuit racing <laughs> drug kingpin. Yeah, I think Eduardo Noriega brings a lot to the role. Uh, you're right, he doesn't have a ton to do, but he's playing a, another trope cliche of the drug kingpin who with the slick-backed hair, sure. uh, who doesn't care about anything... And is just as bad as bad can be. Yeah, there's not a redeeming characteristic to this guy whatsoever. My favorite trope cliche to establish just how bad this character is, is right at, right at the beginning where he escapes from the uh, police van. Yeah. And he shoots a cop, and he 
obviously knows everything about this cop and he's he's saying oh you're so and so because uh you've got a kid on the way right throw down your gun and the cop looks defeated and throws down his gun and they immediately blast him in the head in a very graphic kill yes the blood in this movie is definitely uh, up to snuff like there's definitely some uh major blood and uh, gore in this movie which surprised me because i didn't remember that yeah and it was it was pretty good stuff too i think a lot of action movies when they're going for the hard r uh it's got that cg type gore like and we saw that maybe in the expendables for example Mm -hmm. right where instead of using squibs or instead of using exclusively squibs and practical effects they're using way more cg yeah Uh, and here the there is cg in this but it's fairly seamless and they're relying way more on practical effects and it's i think it always looks better on screen yeah you see a little bit of cg like uh harry dean stanton shows up in an uncredited role as mr parsons a farmer he was great yeah who gets shot with it by a sniper rifle and like he goes flying off the back of a truck and it's obviously cg and cg blood but like it's such a wacky high impact moment that it kind of works Whereas the stuff that really matters where it is like a close quarters fight or Schwarzenegger blowing someone away with like, you know, a massive gun, it does show that actual real blood. Yeah, what I'll just say to all the farmers out there who might be listening is if you ever find yourself in what might be an action movie, don't tell anyone to get off your property. Especially if it's Peter Stormare. (laughs) Yeah, don't do it. (laughs) He can't be trusted. It's not going to end well for you. Now, the the villain though, uh, Cortez. The big gimmick is that he's behind the wheel of a Corvette ZR1, which has been souped up, can go a thousand horsepower. They, as I said, he's referred to as a psycho in a in the Batmobile, and that is the big gimmick. This car is unstoppable. Did that gimmick work for you? I won't say it worked for me <laughs> in the sense like if I was doing my degree in physics or if I was studying up on uh, auto mechanics as compared to the entire law enforcement might of the United States. It didn't work for me in that sense, but in terms of a conceit in an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie, I thought it was pretty good. It's very memorable. Like, I I didn't remember a lot of this movie going back, but I did remember that. <laughs> it is so insane. Like, it is a very, very weird choice. And part of me wonders if this has to do with the Fast and the Furious franchise being mega popular. Maybe. Because this same year you have Fast and Furious 6 on the top 10. Right, right. It might, although what I will say, though, is whether or not you accept the conceit or agree with them using it, I I admit it is strange. Uh, (laughs) It's absurd. It really is. (laughs) It's totally ridiculous. But you have to admit that the, uh, the car scenes in this film are by and large really good looking sure yeah yeah they are they look fantastic and there's some fun moments where he does insane car maneuvers around like swat vehicles to flip them over like it's really fun stuff and i have to though go back though if this guy's in a fast car (laughs) and rolling down desolate highways wouldn't he be really easy to spot You'd think so. There's only so many roads that you can go down. Uh, I mean, I'm not familiar with the road from Las Vegas to... uh, Through Arizona into Mexico, yeah. Yeah, I I can't remember the name of the town that they were in. Oh, Somerton is where Schwarzenegger was. So, I don't know. I'd like to take that drive one day, drive from Vegas to Somerton. Um, But I gotta believe that if you're trying to make a beeline for the border... Sure. uh, There's only so many places you can go. You're not going down too many... 
too many roads that aren't on the main drag there. Did he ever have to stop for gas? Doesn't seem like it. No, it doesn't. Maybe the car was souped up and didn't need gas. Maybe <laughs> solar powered. <laughs> <laughs> Thousand horsepower solar car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the kind of movie this is. Uh, cars don't need gas. Guns don't need bullets. Sure. It's a classic throwback action movie, which I really appreciate. Yeah, and you know, you were saying maybe we could do that drive or something. You'd like to drive through Somerton. You know, maybe if our listeners really want to send us money, we could do an on-location in Somerton and visit all the historic sites of where they shot The Last Stand. Well, we've talked about this before. We could do uh, we could do a trip. We could go through... Uh... We, could, we should start in our local Hope here, go to the Rambo Museum and take a trip down the coast to the, the gas station from Terminator 2. Yeah, uh, yeah. Swing by uh, Somerton and then maybe end up in Puerto Vallarta at the, on the <laughs> Predator set. Now, that'd, be a, that'd be a hell of a road trip. We can, of course, then come home and just visit the library, which was the location from the sixth day. Uh, I think if we come home after that trip, I'm going to have to visit the EI office because I don't think my employer will appreciate the amount of time off I'd need. But listeners, if you would like to send us to Somerton, We'd like to get there before November 9th because that's the date of the Corn Fest. So it would be really awesome if we could be there for the Corn Fest. Do they still have a Corn Fest? Yeah, it's September 9th this year. I'm impressed you uh, looked that that's up. That's right, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Is that where they drive supercars through fields of corn? I'd like to hope so, but we'll never know if we don't get there. <laughs> now, what did you think about that? Because that's a big climax of this movie is this chase between this black ZR1 and... Um, and Arnold Schwarzenegger's red sports car. Don't ask me to say what type it is because I have no knowledge of cars. But they are racing through a cornfield. Did this work for you? Of all the scenes in the movie, of all the vehicle scenes in this movie, this was probably the one that worked for me the least. Really? Uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was bad by any means. And it did work for me. But I didn't find it that exciting, really. Uh, the I mean, the vehicle crashes were interesting. But the creeping through the cornfield right where they're like stalking each other uh literally stalking <laughs> that's each other. right <laughs> uh they uh yeah, it was amazing yeah god <laughs> see you later subscribers <laughs> uh yeah it it wasn't the scene in the movie that uh i was the most taken by i did enjoy it but it wasn't my favorite uh car scene in the show i'll give it this much it is shot really well. Yeah, it is shot well. Like, uh, Jiwoon Kim knows how to shoot action very well, and he manages to convey this chase through a cornfield in a way where we understand the geography. We generally understand where each car is in relation to the other, unless we aren't supposed to. And, and there is a section where Arnold doesn't know where the other guy is. And so, like, mm-hmm. it does work. Like, I think it's really well directed. And, I mean, I don't know, to the best of my memory... If I've ever seen a high-speed chase through a cornfield, I might have, but never one shot this well. But, like, I don't uh, think I have. I'm pretty confident. I can't think it of one. It seems like we would have, right? I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm pretty confident there's no end of movies out there with cars driving through cornfields. I've seen a lot of foot chases through cornfields, but I can't think of a car chase. I can't think of one either, but we're going to find one. For but you. The way this one is directed, it feels like original. Like, it's it's well done. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Uh, I was more interested, though, and I guess we should get right into it, eh? Uh, I think it's probably a good idea for us to talk about uh, not only the vehicle scenes, but the action scenes that worked well and yeah. didn't, didn't work. I, I was more into the scene, for example, uh, where the police have a roadblock set up and two SUVs full of bad guys just 
lay these vehicles to waste with yeah. uh, high-end weaponry, and then a dump truck with a snowplow on it drives <laughs> yeah. through and just just lays carnage down on these poor hapless cops. Just think, if the FBI had had like a chopper in the air, they could have seen this coming. <laughs> Or a spike belt. Sure. Yeah, one or the other. <laughs> you think you would maybe put one of those out, like, 30 feet ahead? Sure. 50 yards ahead? I mean, wouldn't they see that truck coming from, like, many miles away? Not if its lights were off. <laughs> <laughs> they use that little gimmick a few times in this movie where if a, if a car turns its lights off, it's basically gone. Yeah. It's invisible. It's stealth mode. Yeah, like, that is a really good action sequence. Like, again, it's a very simple scene we've seen a thousand times of... You know, cars racing at a barricade, but it's done really well. I also thought the big shootout in the uh, the town of Somerton was well done, too, in that you've got all these different players running around the town. You know, you have Jamie Alexander's character. You have Rodrigo Santoro's character all over the place. Uh, Johnny Knoxville's as well as Luis Guzman. They're facing off against all these bad guys, and yet you never feel like you don't know where they are. Yeah, and one of the things I liked about that particular sequence, too, was everybody had their role. Yeah. And they kind of stuck to it. Yes. uh, Which, what we see sometimes in action movies, and for example, in The Expendables, uh, which we talked about at the time, is people are like, this guy's the hand-to-hand combat expert, this guy's the sniper, this this guy's guy's the the heavy weapons, and then they all do everything. Yes. Whereas here... No one really had a defined role on screen. Like, no one was saying, well, Louise Guzman is clearly the hand-to-hand combat expert. Right. But... I would have, it would have been amazing if he had been. But they all had their roles by location and kind of by the weapons that they were using, too. This, sure. I actually thought the scene where Louise Guzman, after being hit with a rocket, or the car that he's hiding behind is hit with a rocket, and he comes out inexplicably in the middle of the road with a Tommy gun blasting at guys. Yeah. I thought that was pretty hilarious. That was amazing, yes. And I liked uh, Jamie Alexander on the roof with the sniper rifle. For sure, yeah. Yeah, that was really cool stuff. I feel like Rodrigo Santoro maybe got the short end of the stick. His job was kind of to be Arnold Jr., I think. Just to kind of run around with a handgun a lot of it. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, Johnny Knoxville gets, like, a big, goofy moment, too. I feel like Rodrigo Santoro didn't really get that kind of really memorable moment. The 1939 Vickers gun, the machine gun, sure. in the back of the school bus. Yeah. I, I kind of forgot how much I enjoyed that scene. It's pretty good. I don't know that I've ever seen one of those guns on screen in an action movie and not thought it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let that be a lesson to all you action directors out there. Always make sure that you have a belt-fed machine gun in your movie. Well, did you ever notice in a lot of westerns, the bad guy will get hold of one? And it's all about how they have the next step in weaponry? And it's all about the classic western archetypes taking on the guys with that type of gun like the gatling type gun yeah you think about something like the wild bunch sure and yeah ev- yeah and eventually they gotta take over that machine gun and yeah. just lay the area to waste or even that lona ranger uh, disney film from a couple years ago the whole thing was that the right. bad guys had that type of gun yeah or the magnificent seven i think they did as well that yep. remake yeah so yeah that's definitely a trope and it makes sense in a western and i do like though in this uh in this point of view like the bad guys have their own advanced weaponry and so the gatling gun is no longer the advanced gun it's the old-timey one that schwarzenegger has to use against their more modern technology it's a fun twist in a big yellow school bus no less obviously yeah yeah and uh yes yeah, which, so... which featured very prominently you thought you think like once that machine gun sequence is done, that's going to be it. But that school bus just keeps coming back. Yeah, and even like Peter Stormare is holed up in one at the end. The uh, the school bus fishtail that they did where they 
wheel that school bus around like on a dime. Oh yeah. Uh, I gotta give props to the stunt drivers in this film. They did a hell of a job. What did you think of the locals in the town during the shootout? <laughs> they were fine. They were sufficiently minimal that I didn't find them irritating. I think if they'd been on screen more, yeah. uh, they would have kind of annoyed me. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I'm Clopey Clichetron, and yeah. I'm here to toss out a zinger and uh, <laughs> yeah. fire a gun. I'm small town cafe owner, but I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> or the old woman, too, in like the rocking chair. Yeah, no, <laughs> which is pretty funny. We were saying that... Uh, while we were watching it, we were saying that uh, I feel like there's a deleted scene somewhere because she just kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, put the heart on them, Ray. <laughs> it's yeah. so goofy. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I guess dialing in some of these action sequences, um, and it, you mentioned the, the grandmother there. Yeah. Uh, I thought some of the individual kills in this movie yeah. were were really good. They were some of the best that we've seen out of a Schwarzenegger movie since like the 80s. Yeah, and I mean even like Peter Stormare holed up in that school bus getting like shot in the side of the head is like really amazing. It's like really grisly and he, it, you buy it. Like it's a high impact kill involving Schwarzenegger. Yeah, well before Schwarzenegger just sprays his brains all over the top of the school bus. Yeah. But, for example, the scene where Schwarzenegger barrels the guy over a roof, and then uh, while they're falling, Schwarzenegger oh. blows his brains out. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> it's definitely... You know, it's, like, it's great stuff. It's good, classic Schwarzenegger stuff. But it also has that twist. Like, if Ji-Woon Kim is doing this movie, and he's done The Good, The Bad, and The Weird, which is super quirky, weirdo take on the Western, he's bringing a lot of inventive ideas to his action sequences. And, of course... Uh, Speaking of that granny, though, uh, we would be remiss not to mention her kill. Oh, uh, yeah. Where uh, the guy breaks in and she says, no trespassing, and then blasts him through the window. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so all these interesting kills. Yeah, Jiwoon Kim, he uh, he did a great job setting those up. Yeah, it definitely brings it whenever it comes to the action. Yeah. I don't know that he was massaging the dialogue on on screen, you know, really looking over the actor's performances in terms of the dialogue, but... Uh, when it comes to the action, the look of the movie, he definitely delivers big time. And we should talk about the big, you know, finale where it's Schwarzenegger standing on a bridge. He's all that stands between the bad guy and freedom. Classic Western type shot. What did you think of this fight on the bridge? To be honest, I thought it kind of had its ups and downs where I really liked the showdown. Mm -hmm. the The classic pan from behind the bad guy to see... Schwarzenegger standing on that bridge like a gunfighter in a western. Yeah. Of course, there's no guns involved in this fight. Right. And then the fight. And the the impression I got, and this is something that was pretty endemic, I found, in movies around maybe 2005 until even, even going into right now, and we're recording this in 2019, which is rather than having the cinematic type fist fight stuff that looks so good on screen sure going into like an mma jujitsu fight right which where people are trying to choke each other out there's leg holds and that kind of thing and that's not all it is it's not just um you know someone holding another guy in a hoist gracie headlock for half an hour yeah uh, there's still some high impact punching and stuff like that going on but i find the holds on screen don't really work that well for me right yeah i mean I would have liked to have seen maybe more of a mashing up of styles. Like, 
I would have loved to have seen this guy performing this type of martial arts, but Arnold really countering with classic moves where you get a bit of that. You get Arnold slamming the guy around and punching him, but I would have liked more of a face-off versus just two guys tussling together in holds. The suplex was pretty good. The suplex was amazing. You give me a <laughs> few more things like that, I am 100% on board. I also kind of have an issue with the way it resolves itself and that, you know, like the guy slashes at Arnold with a, you know, a knife. Arnold sticks it in the bad guy's leg, and then he's like, okay, you're under arrest. What I'll say, too, is what is it with Mexican gangsters and always having the same kind of leaf-bladed knife with a cross on the top? It's so true. <laughs> Very big cliche. I mean, this movie's fraught with cliches, so, you know, I guess what's one more? Uh, especially considering there's like five at the end of the movie as well. But I mean, like, uh, yeah, so like Arnold puts the guy under the under arrest and is like, okay, you're going back to jail. In some movies, I don't mind this as your finale. I think it makes total sense in some movies. But in this case, I have watched this drug kingpin who apparently has infinite resources to get out of prison. I don't know that I feel that comfortable with him going back to prison at the end, especially when we've had every single other villain get killed in the movie, like, with great prejudice. (laughs) Well, as long as Forrest Whitaker is on the case and watching over him, I'm I'm sure he'll be secure. Exactly. I have no faith in him whatsoever. I think if you're going to put Schwarzenegger and Cortez on a bridge, one of them better be going off the side and it better not be Schwarzenegger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is kind of surprising. It's weirdly restrained at the end. I mean, what I think is that Jiwoon Kim just wanted a scene with Schwarzenegger driving a sports car with the bad guy being pulled behind him. Sure. Like a, like a throwback to a Western. Yeah, I think you're right. And just the idea that this guy is a sheriff, and so you do want him doing something that's very sheriff-like, and that is arresting someone. We don't see that the rest of the way. We just see him gunning people down. Yeah, but let's just be honest. Uh, when there's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and someone is fighting on a bridge over a ravine and nobody, not a single person goes into the ravine. No one even hangs over the side. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a little disappointing. It is a little disappointing. Uh, and so, you know, we get to the end and it's all a happy ending. And I love the part where Forrest Whitaker comes up to Arnold and he's just like, Impressive. Impressive. I gotta feel like those those double lines or those repeat lines are an actor's worst nightmare. Yeah. Like, it's always... I always picture the screenwriter being like, oh, you know, a good actor will be able to pull this off. Sure. Forrest Whitaker must have read that and then been like, okay, I gotta say impressive twice. Yeah. How am I gonna do this? I'll mix it up a bit. Yeah. Impressive. Impressive. <laughs> Yeah, and that pretty much sums up the movie, really. Um, <laughs> impressive? Impressive. Impressive. Um, what, did you feel like you, it was lacking, though, in classic Arnold Schwarzenegger quotes? Not really. Uh, I mean... Or, did you like the ones in this movie? Not really. Yeah. So, that, I mean, I was going to touch on that, actually, and <laughs> we, all, we always do this. We talk about the movie a lot, but I, without getting into Schwarzenegger until the end here, but... A lot of his lines, he did have some lines, but they weren't really humdingers, right? Like, when when we make our top 100 list of Arnold Schwarzenegger quotes, I'm pretty sure Welcome to Summerton's not going to be on that. Or I'm the Sheriff. I'm the Sheriff. Yeah. A little soft. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, Yeah, like, I would have liked to have had maybe one really good one in there. Especially, like, this movie's really goofy a lot of the time. 
and is throwing in all this comic relief. So it's not like it's a restrained, sabotage-like movie. You could have definitely had an over-the-top Arnold quote, especially when he's like on the bridge or something like that. Most of his quotes that he had that were more comedic in nature were to his hapless deputies. Yeah, yeah. And he is much more of the grounded character in this movie. It's more like the other ones around him, his other deputies, get to be mm-hmm. the more like campy or over-the-top type characters. I thought his best lines, actually, he had a short, uh, I don't know if you'd even call it a monologue, but a short few lines when he's talking with the ill-fated Jerry Bailey character. Sure. And he says something along the lines of, you know, I've seen enough blood and death. And it was like, oh, Schwarzenegger's getting serious here. Yeah. I mean, well, as in all Arnold movies, it turns out Arnold is the best of the best. (laughs) He was, like, from an elite squad and everything in his past. Yeah. See you later, everyman. Yeah. I did like the moment, though, where he's talking to Jamie Alexander's character. And um, she's, like, scared because it's going to be this big battle. And he's like, I think I'm more scared than you because I know what's coming. And I'm like, I I buy this. Like, it's a good acting moment for Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. I would love to see, going forward, more of this mashup of, like, Schwarzenegger the actor with maybe a better screenplay than this has. You know what I mean? Like a movie that was maybe a little more bringing it in terms of something a little more innovative or original and matching that up with the Schwarzenegger who's now, you know, in his 70s and has much more of that gravitas to his acting style. He's, you know, aged to a degree where he has a little more to his delivery. He can act much better. I don't know. Like I would love to see that tied into a project that was like a really like high grade project not one where johnny knoxville's blowing up guys with flare guns no and not like a uh you know straight to video kind of like killing gunther type movie or something right or aftermath well he is trying with things like aftermath and maggie and that kind of thing and whether or not you think they work uh it's probably a step in the right direction to pick up those projects right for sure well, I guess we're we're going to wrap up pretty quick here. But before we do, and I know we, we've kind of left it behind and talked about Arnold Schwarzenegger here. But I just want to give a little bit of uh, a nod and see what you thought about, in particular, the action sequence at the very beginning of the movie. The one where Gabriel Cortez escapes and where they take one of those giant crane magnets, put, sure. it, put it on the roof of the van. Uh, there's a couple gunmen on the magnet. It uh, picks the van up to the top of the roof and then they zip line down to another building it reminded me a little bit of you only live twice the bond movie where that's how they dispose of bad guys is they pick up the car right yeah magnet and drop it in the ocean um but it was nice touch uh having the gunman on top of the magnet and then zip lining is always cool in a movie yeah although it does not touch the zip lining in expendables 2 where they go like <laughs> 15 miles down a live power line yeah in a straight line <laughs> yeah. with no curve i always like zip lining in a movie too it's uh, definitely has the triple x three kind of air to it although what i will say about this one it was uh really well shot i thought there's a scene where the camera trails the zip liners down the line and then in a pretty fluid motion just uh goes off the line and and pans off to uh las vegas i don't know maybe i'm maybe that was just me that thought that was pretty i thought it was pretty cool i thought it was was really cool like this movie to me like it it has enough cool for me to recommend it like i feel like it sags a little in the middle when you're waiting to get to the to the actual action sequences it also has a guy hiding behind an actual honest to goodness watermelon cart in a gunfight that's true that's true but like did you feel like it it kind of 
took its time a little too much getting to the big finale. Like, when I look at Rio Bravo, which is obviously an inspiration for this movie, Rio Bravo is a hangout movie. So you actually are spending a lot of time with John Wayne wandering around the town, talking to, like, Angie Dickinson and, you know, various other actors. But it has really good dialogue Mm -hmm. (laughs) and really, like, interesting characters, whereas this one is a little more boilerplate stuff. Did it feel to you like you were kind of sometimes waiting to get to the fireworks factory? Maybe, but... I think one of the issues with the movie might be that you open with a really big action set piece and you close with a pretty big one too. And in the middle, there is an action piece uh, at the construction yard where they're building the bridge. Yeah. But most of the other action pieces in here, rather than being uh, shootouts, although there is a little bit of that mixed in, is car stuff, right? Right. So I don't know, maybe that's what you're picking up on. I actually though thought that the movie had a pretty, pretty good kinetic pace to it. Like, it didn't really lag at all for me. Maybe a couple of the Forrest Whitaker scenes could have been cut, but... To me, it's uh, more just like the character stuff in the middle isn't as strong as one hopes for a movie where you're just kind of hanging out with the characters waiting for something to happen. Are you talking about the gun montage uh, scene in particular where they go to the gun museum? I mean, that was kind of weak, but more like kind of before that, where it's just these characters kind of dealing with the death of uh, Jerry Bailey and just kind of getting information from, um, right, right. from Forrest Whitaker and just kind of, you know, getting ready for the conflict. Like, the thing is, I don't think, like, the Louis Guzman or um, Johnny Knoxville characters are interesting enough to really inject the sort of drama you hope for in that sort of situation. Yeah, maybe. What I'll say is, unlike some of the movies we've reviewed on this podcast where you can have really awesome action, there wasn't really any point in this movie where I was feeling bored or no. where I was feeling like, okay, guys, come on, get on with it. But you would agree it's more like a mid-tier Arnold. I'd say so, but I'd say yeah. it's probably at the upper end of the of the mid-tier. I'd put it in the same category as maybe, maybe just below a racer or something like that. Okay, yeah, I think that's a good spot for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely better than Collateral Damage. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's better than The Sixth Day, I think, too. I don't know, you may... How do you feel about that? I really like The Sixth Day. Uh, I think it brings a lot of interesting things, but I think this is a better made movie, for sure. Yeah, and it's it's way better than Collateral Damage. Way better. Totally. Yeah. Okay, so what are your final thoughts on The Last Stand? Well, for those of you listening who uh, decided to listen without going and watching the movie first, shame on you, first of all. But if you haven't seen it, Uh, I'd say go ahead, pick it up. It's definitely an Arnold movie worth watching. And it's more in the vein, I'd say, of his 80s and early 90s stuff than things that we've seen for a long time from him. Right, yeah. Like, I agree. This is a movie that's a lot of fun. And it has a light tone to it. It's serious about its story. Like, it commits to its absurd premise with a straight face. But it also is having fun with it. And, you know, Ji-Woon Kim is having, a like, a really good time with filming his action sequences. Like, it definitely feels like someone who's bringing a lot of technique to the table. He's not, like, a boilerplate guy. And we have talked about some Arnold movies with boilerplate action that just feels really generic. And it doesn't feel that way. So even if, you know, for me, some of the energy flags a little bit between action sequences, it still delivers enough memorable moments to recommend it like i think it's a fun movie yeah i I mean we haven't reviewed all of the i guess we'll call it the post politic arnold movies on here right uh but where would you say it ranks as far as what you recall because this in my mind this is one of the best if not the best 
post-politic Schwarzenegger action pieces. It's up there. Um, I, I like Escape Plan quite a bit. Um, but like, you know, when you compare that against like a, this one, like against Sabotage, like Sabotage is not very good. I think it's technically competent, but yeah. it's not fun at all. No, no. So like, I will always side with the Arnold ones that are more fun. For sure. And so that's what, you know, this one delivers. And I think it does a modestly good job. Like, it's a fun B-movie. You're going to pick it up again sometime soon? I could see myself watch it again, which I would not have said when I walked out of the theater the first time. Yeah, The Last Stand is one for that for maybe, the, like, the last six years. has been in my mind as kind of a disappointment. I think that uh, I think that it's changed going forward. Very good. Okay, so I think that wraps up The Last Stand. Tony, what are we doing next time? Well, next time, I don't know if you can call it a Schwarzenegger vehicle. We're going to take a look at the ambitious and expensive and disastrous project of Around the World in 80 Days. Yeah, starring Jackie Chan. And they would pair off later in the movie Journey to China, which I have no idea if you and I are ever going to be able to review that movie. I don't know. We've been trying to get a copy of that movie, and it just hasn't happened. I know it's been made. It was supposed to be released this year, so I don't know. Well, given that the only trailer we can find for it is in Russian, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have luck. But anyway, Schwarzenegger, he doesn't have a large role in it, but I'd, I'd describe it as more than a cameo, I think, if I recall. Yeah. We debated this, because you think about a movie like The Rundown, where Schwarzenegger really is only there as a cameo, or Dave. Yeah. Uh, this is a movie where he does have a part, and he plays an actual, genuine, bona fide character. So we figured that we we better review it. I think that's going to be really, really interesting, and I'm looking forward to it, because I have never seen this movie before. Oh, really? No. Oh, I'm looking forward to it, then. It's uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so you can, of course... Uh, reach us at ArnieGeddonPod on Twitter or at ArnieGeddonPod at gmail.com. Please leave any reviews for us on any place you're getting your podcast. It helps us a lot with our rankings. Let's us outrank the other Arnold Schwarzenegger podcasts. That's right. That's right. I, I don't know how many of those there are. Uh, can't be that many. <laughs> so we would love to be number one. We know we are in your yeah, hearts, yeah, but we would like to be yeah, on the charts yeah, as well. We need you to climb to the top of this niche market. <laughs> okay. Tony, how do they get hold of you? You can find me, uh, Tony G. That's Tony like the name G, like the letter, at ArnieGeddon.com. You can also download us direct from the source if you are not happy with your current streaming service for whatever reason, uh, www.ArnieGeddon.com. You can find me on Twitter at Cam V is in Visiting Summerton, thanks to your generous dollars, Smith. Okay, so we'll be back with Around the World in 80 Days. Tell us the camera,